about preaching, one of the hardest parts is getting started and finishing. It's um, if, if you don't preach all the time, it's easier to have something that you want to speak about um, because you don't have to deliver 50 sermons in a row as, as Brian does. And so I can, whatever's um, been on my heart in the last few months spiritually, if there has been anything, hopefully there has, um, I can work that into a sermon. I realize we're in the middle of a two-part series. The first part was in June of 2018, so there's no real hurry to get to the second part. So I have something I thought was uh, a little more, that seemed right for today. So two things that have been rattling around in my mind are the song we just sang. I've thought about that a lot over the last few months. Um, the name of Jesus is powerful, it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. And you could certainly make a sermon out of that if you, if you had an occasion where you needed to. But, and I thought about that one, but there, there's something else that, uh, that's been on my mind, and, um, and that's what I'm going to speak to you about today. We have a lot of theme Sundays throughout the year. We have Father's Day, and we have Mother's Day, and we have Easter, and we do a little bit with graduation, and maybe Fourth of July, and Memorial Day, and Veterans Day, and of course uh, we have Thanksgiving and Christmas, and this is one of those years when we have a maximum Christmas, because last weekend was a Christmas weekend, and then we had the middle of the week, and Christmas of course, and then again uh, this weekend, it's it seemed like every day was Friday, except Friday. It didn't seem like Friday because it just we keep having these short little weeks that are just two days. But and we're going to do that again next week. But our next holiday is one that tends to kind of sneak up on us, and it happens. It's one of my favorite ones, and that's New Year's. Just that idea of taking stock, looking back, taking inventory. Some of you work different places to where tomorrow and and maybe Tuesday morning you'll be taking inventory. How many fuel filters do we have? And on and on. And that's, uh, I was counting big bales of hay yesterday. We, we look at where are we at? The good and the bad. And, you know, if you're in business, you're, you're dealing with taxes and trying to get things where you want them to be before uh, the calendar rolls over. And then we're looking at, well, what, what about next year? And we've, we've been building up to Christmas, and, and that is the most wonderful time of the year. And so, but we don't usually look beyond that very much till, till now. And all of a sudden it hits us, hey, it's, it's a whole new year. These calendars we've been getting the last few weeks, we're going to put those up on the refrigerator or on our desk, and we're going to open up to a whole new year with all the opportunities and the challenges uh, before us. In this case, uh, it's a whole new decade. It's, it was easy to say in the 80s and the 90s, and we spent 20 years thinking, what do we call these? And now we're, it'll be the 20s again. So for now for a long time again, uh, it'll be easy to refer, uh, to know how to refer to the decade. So, so 2020, um, not just a new year, a brand new decade. So we're going to look at something uh, today that uh, I don't know that how long you'll think about it. Maybe just out the door, but maybe it's something to lend up on your refrigerator and you can kind of let it soak in a little bit. Um, I thought about... Today, just leading off with the three main points, but as I thought about over the last week, I thought, you know, if I did that, people would say, your mic's not on, say it again, 
and it would be like, well, now we kind of lost momentum. So, uh, so I did hear the mic. I heard myself get louder uh, after about half a sentence there. So, what we're going to be looking at today is um, three core beliefs, and there's things that we believe. We most of us believe that George Washington was president, first president of the United States. We read that in history books. There's no evidence that says anything different. It's not hard for us to believe that. Um, if we took a test about that, we'd get that answer right because that's something uh, that we believe. But we didn't see it. We didn't meet George Washington. But, but we're quite confident that he, there was a George Washington and he was our first president. There's other things that are, we would call beliefs. And these are things that, that really affect us day to day and make up who we are. For most of us, one of those beliefs would be respect your elders. If we were somewhere uh, at the grocery store, perhaps, and we saw uh, an elderly person struggling with their groceries to get through the door or to get in their car or something, we would just automatically step in and help because that's one of our beliefs. That we, we respect our elders and we try to help them out when we can. It wouldn't matter if someone was looking or not. It's just, that's just inside us. We, would have a, we couldn't deny that because it's, it's a belief. It's who we are. Um, so we're going to look a little bit today at things we believe and then things that are beliefs. Christian Campus House is a, it's like a dormitory for, for Christian young people on campus at Mizzou. And uh, my daughter-in-law lived there a few years. And um, a Wednesday night, they had a, a worship service. They called it the well. And it was, at the time, uh, Garth and Candace were students at Mizzou. It was the, probably the biggest it was the hot thing, I guess you could say, on campus for, uh, as far as uh, religious services, that was the big one. It, the well was where it was going on on Wednesday night. And um, so um, Garth and would go over there, and he, got to, he told me that something they said, every time they left, they would repeat um, their core beliefs. And we have, on front of our bulletin, we have our purpose. And I bet a lot of you could, tell, could recite that without looking. Um, Making growing disciples make a difference. You've heard that before many times. That's our purpose statement. Then we have our vision. Then we have our core values. Uh, I'm going to guess that almost no one could recite all of our core values. If you looked at them, they would look familiar to you. But when the Christian Campus House folks depart, they repeat their core beliefs. And here they are. God is real. The Bible is true. Jesus is alive. And we're going to take a look at each of those three today. And when I first started thinking about this, I th thought about preparing a sermon in terms of making a case for each of those being facts, which they are. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized for, each, for most of us, we agree with those statements. We acknowledge them mentally. But how, how deep do we let them sink in? How much do we let them affect our everyday lives? When I was in school, um, they'd give us a test, and in the first page or two would be true-false, multiple-choice, and matching. And on true-false, usually if it was false, there'd be something there that kind of stood out. 
and at least you had a 50-50 chance. And it was pretty painless to put a TRF one or the other anyhow. So you'd go through those thinking you had them all right. When you got to the multiple choice, if you didn't know, which one do you pick? The longest answer, right? The teacher is going to put more effort into the one that's correct than the incorrect ones. Almost That'll almost always work for you. I go with the longest one. And then when it's matching, it's process of elimination. There's a couple of easy ones if you can get those. And every once in a while, the teacher would say, now there's more choices than there are, you know, more answers and questions or whatever. And it's like, well, hey, hey, because it wasn't necessarily going to match up just right. But if there was only, this, uh, you know, five choices, five questions, it's like, I, I get two of them out of the way. So you get through that part, and you're thinking maybe uh, you had it. It's like, I potentially could have guessed on all those and got them all right. And then it comes back and reality, you know, there's a lot of red ink and you realize, well, I didn't guess as good as I thought. But then you turn that paper over and on the back there's two essay questions. Uh-oh. Now you got to show if you really know something or not. So we could take a true-false test. Is God real? Is the Bible true? Is Jesus alive? We could do matching. We could do multiple choice. We could do pretty good on that. Um, but if we had an essay question on the back that said in three to five sentences, tell how, how those facts have altered your life in the last month, what you've done as a result of those, when were you going to do this, but you did this because Jesus is alive, when were you going to do this or say this, but you said that because the Bible is true, and on and on. And then we had maybe a second question that said, what are you planning to do in the next 30 days, in the next year, tomorrow, because God is real? Is that going to affect your life at all? Is that going to change anything in your life? The Bible is true. Are you going to alter your course because of that? Jesus is alive. Is that going to be uh, an important part of your day, important part of your week, or is that just a fact that you keep it at arm's length? Um, do you remember the show Dragnet? Sergeant Joe Friday, what did he say? Just the facts, ma'am. In this case, the facts are just the beginning. A lot of us know the facts. That's not the problem. Okay, we know those facts. We know a whole lot more facts about the, what's in the Bible, what we learned in Sunday school. But what we truly believe is going to come out. It's going to show in how we live our life. It's going to rise to the top. So we're going to go through and we're going to look at each of these a little more closely. And we're going to consider, are they true or not? And, they're also, and more importantly, we're going to consider, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to respond to that? God is real. In Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created. If you don't get that one, you just, well, there's no reason to move on. If you don't believe that, if you don't grasp that, that God created, that's why it's the first verse. There's no reason to go on to any others. If you miss that one, um, you've missed the whole thing. God is real. We have a lot of evidences that God is real. First, we have an innate or internal just emptiness without God. And people have always had that and all 
parts of the world and all generations, they've just known there's something else. It's bigger than this somehow. They don't always uh, find God. They don't. Sometimes they get that misdirected. Sometimes they um, just kind of squelch that. But inside us, we know there's something bigger. But that's because we were created to be in a relationship with God, and when we're not, we're incomplete. So we have a longing that comes from inside of us that tells us there's something out there that's bigger than us. We have nature to cause us to be conscious of God. There's a verse in the Bible that it says, in effect, if you just look around, you can't deny there's God. Just look around. And how are you going to explain away the weather, uh, life, death, uh, everything about creation and nature all speaks uh, to a divine creator and a divine purpose. There's um, tradition. That, that's, the word doesn't mean exactly in this case what you might think. Um, you're not the first person that's asked, is there God? Okay? Um, look around at everybody that, that came to church this morning in our church and all around the world. Even though most people reject God, there's still many, many people that do uh, believe in Him, accept Him uh, as being real, and have for all the generations. And if you were to look at 10, 12, whatever number, 6, the number doesn't matter. The people that you really look up to and respect, what do they believe? If they all reject the idea that there's a God, then a couple of things. Either maybe you need to consider whether you really believe in him or not, or who are you looking up to and, and getting, taking your cues from or your, your example from. But for many of us, the people we would look at and say, now there's a person that I really respected, I really admired, and I thought their life really had value and meaning and purpose throughout, generally, for us as Christians, that's going to be uh, people that were believers. So we're not in this alone. Um, we have the, the encouragement and example of others uh, that have gone before us and that walk along beside us. We also have um, the revelation of God's Word. Um, and the most complete revelation that we've been celebrating this past week, which was Jesus Christ, uh, God came to us in the form of that little baby to help us to know him, what he, to draw us to him. Um, and we have his word. So we have lots of evidence that God is real. Now, we're going to look at some examples of some folks that say God is real but it hasn't really taken a hold in their life. Um, do you know what the word dogmatic means? I heard that word for years, but I didn't really know what it meant. I thought, kind of thought maybe I had an idea. It seems kind of an intriguing word, uh, dogma or dogmatic. Um, dogmatic is when you uh, strongly profess a belief Like on the bus, when I was seven or eight years old, and we would square off, 
John Deere and International. To the death, you know. And then it would shift to Chevy versus Ford. And it's like you're eight years old. And, but you hold, you pick that up at home and you just hold on to that uh, tenaciously and you would say you, you believe it, but you don't even know what you're talking about. You've just swallowed that hook, line, and sinker. Um, you haven't experienced it yourself. When you're seven and you're saying, well, the transmissions and red tractors aren't any good. Well, the hydraulics and green tractors aren't any good. You, that's just something you've heard. You don't even know what you're talking about. And it wouldn't be hard for us to find people that would say, God, guns and guts made America free, and they're keeping us free. And I, that's true. But if, we, if that's the extent of it, we just keep it at arm's length. If we say, well, tell me about, tell me about your relationship with God. Tell me about how God made America free, how he made you free, how he keeps you free, how he sets you free about what you've talked about this week. And there's no, they have no response. That's just, um, that's not a true belief. That hasn't taken root. Okay, that's just something that's just on the outside of you. That's not who you really are on the inside. There's some other folks um, that we're going to read about here uh, in Romans, the first chapter that when you hear this, you're going to think, well, these are the most heathen folks and pagan folks around. But remember, these are folks that profess God. These are folks that said, God is real. But this is how they lived. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attribute, attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made, so they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the, the creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. Um, for their women exchanged the natural uh, function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men uh, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they do not only do the same, but they hardly give hearty approval to those who practice them. 
That sounds like some bad people. It also sounds just like me. Okay, there's a number of things in there that I think, wow. If, I, if God is real, and he is, then there's some things in there that shouldn't be a part of my life. It's said a little more uh, succinctly in Titus 1.16. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. I have a definition here of the practical atheist. And this is from a list of different kinds of atheists and deists and all kinds of messed up ways to believe or not believe in God. The practical atheist. By this we refer to a secret or partial atheism that is present in the majority of the world. They do not actually deny the being of God, but by their actions and lifestyle, by their evil and neglect of God, or by the denial of certain aspects and rights of his divine and sovereign being over them, they deny him and act as if there was no God. As I, I, as older I get, there's a lot of good things I should do that I don't. And there are some bad things I shouldn't do that I do, but I do better with what I do than what I say. As I get older, I, I say less things that are regrettable than I used to. I'm getting a little better with that. But when it comes to think, I could get shot or arrested every day for what goes through my mind. Okay, and I bet maybe some others of you are the same way. God is real. So why do I devote so much of my time to things that are so my mind to things that are so greedy, so petty, so useless, so worthless when there's so many good and positive things to be thinking about. And what you spend your time thinking about, guess what? That's going to come out of your mouth. And that's going to come out in the things that you do. God is real. We need to transition to maturity. The things we, if God is real, it has ramification for what we say and what we think and what we do. An example of those, and there's, there's many, many. An example of those that profess God with their mouth, but then act in a different way. We could stand at the back door of this church or any other church this morning. And it's quite possible that we wouldn't hear anybody make a reference to God when they walked out in that sunshine, or, or I think the sun's starting to shine a little bit out there. But when they walked outside today, but I promise you, we would hear somebody say, well, what's old Mother Nature got in store for us this week? God is real. Mother Nature is not. Where's your heart? What do you put your faith in? What do you put your trust in? Typing OMG is not a small thing. Saying, oh, it's up to fate. Is that what you believe? I thought you believed God was real. Or do you believe that? Do you believe it's just whatever? Or do you believe God is real? 
Do you believe that? In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, uh, verses 1 through 3, it, it talks about the idea of it's impossible to please God without faith, that we have to understand that He created the world, He set it in motion, and if we're not going to believe that, if we're not going to accept that, none of the rest of it's going to make sense. And if we don't come to Him in faith, um, we're not going to please Him. In Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, You'll seek me, and you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. God is incomprehensible. We can't understand how he made the world. We're not even close. When we consider the fact that when we prayed earlier, when we pray here in a little bit at the end of the service, you do realize that there's millions of other people praying at the same time, right? And God hears and understands all that. God is real. Okay, he's everything that he, that he uh, claims to be in his word. And he does understand that all at one time. But that's incomprehensible for us. You cannot get your mind around that. But he's also knowable. God said, I live in a high and a holy place. But also with him who's lowly and contrite of spirit. I mean, those that are humble. Those that are asked for forgiveness. Um, God is real and we can know him. And... <clears throat> Psalms 14.1 says, the fool says in his heart there's no God. Says in his heart. He doesn't say it out loud necessarily. He says it in his heart. That means that by the way he acts, by the, other, the, by the other things that come out of his mouth, he's saying there's no God. We don't want to be the fool. We want to be the opposite of that. The fool says in his heart there is no God. We, that's not who we want to be. Inside our heart, we want to say there is a God, and I'm going to react and act and think and speak accordingly. The world becomes, a gentleman named Packer wrote, the world becomes a strange, mad, and painful place, and life in it is a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know God. Disregard the study of God, and you sent yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what's around you. This way you can waste your life and lose your soul. Keithley wrote, A healthy relationship with God must begin with an intellectual knowledge of who He is. But that's not where it stops. It's where it starts. Then matures into a deeper personal experience of knowing God in life. God manifests Himself to us on the mountain peaks, in the valleys, and in the swamps, in all aspects of our life. God is real. Let that permeate deep down inside of you this week. The Bible is true. Our God, guns and guts friends, would also shake their fists and say, the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is inerrant. It is without error. But if you don't know anything it says, if you don't apply it anything, any of it to your life, you're kind of missing the point. The Bible is inerrant. Let it be your guide. The Bible is without uh, error in any from beginning to end. Change your course to align with it. Don't just say it. Live that out. In 2 Timothy, we have the Awana verse. Uh, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for correction and, and teaching and, and growing and learning and um, when I was in school, there's, I, I didn't, there's a, a tremendous amount of stuff that I didn't learn. Uh, 
that uh, I learned some things, but I got the opposite. On all, there's a whole lot of things I got backwards. But one thing I remembered is the teacher would say, you can't use the word in the definition. Like, what's chemistry? And you'd say, well, it's about chemicals. Well, you can't use the word in the definition. It's like, well, how am I going to find it if I can't use the word? So um, we have lots of references in the Bible to it being true, and we're going to look at some of those. And as Christians, um, we believe the, we believe what the Bible says about itself. But if we were going to look at external evidence, none of it um, contradicts the Bible. There's a lot of people that, that try to contradict it, but any hard facts always align with the Bible. If they dig up a bunch of bones in the Kidron Valley and they say, well, you know what, in about such and such time, 5,000 people did die here. When you hear that as a Christian, that's kind of cool. I'm not waiting for stuff like that to make me believe. But anytime they come up with those kind of things, they're always in line with the Bible. Because guess what? The Bible is true. The Bible was written over hundreds and hundreds of years. It's hard to imagine how big of a span of time there was from, say, um, Noah, Abraham, Moses, those old, Old Testament characters, the time Jesus walked on the earth, but many hundreds of years, a whole lot longer than America has been around, um, many times that long is the span of time over which the Bible is written, and there's, by many authors, um, there's internal consistency and coherence Throughout, um, I'm going to read uh, a part of several verses that speak to the truth of God's Word. Most of them will be familiar to you. I, I have the scripture references, but I'm not going to read all those. But the sum of your word is truth. You are God, and your words are truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. For the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. The judgments of the Lord are true. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. In the word of truth, your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness. Your law is truth, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, says. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? He replied, Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of God endures forever. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. Therefore, everyone who hears the words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The Bible is true. I had a co-worker um, for many years. I had a poster on the wall. Now, you're familiar with the saying that is, let me get this right, I'll believe it when I see it. That's a Missouri kind of a thing, show me idea. When I see the evidence, I'll believe it. Her said the opposite, which is really maybe more profound and more true in some ways. I'll see it when I believe it. It takes faith. 
this, this is all nonsense until we believe it, until God gives us the grace to respond to him in faith. There was a time when the world would have said, if you believe this is true, you're a sissy. You're a sissy if you believe this is true. Now it would be politically incorrect to use a gender-based uh, derogatory term. And the, the opposite is said to us. If you believe this, you're a hate monger. You're a hater if you believe this. Because the world would like to say, whatever I'm doing is okay. Okay? And I don't want anybody to tell me it's not. This book has the audacity to say it's not okay. It's all about hate. It's about a God of hate um, who's jealous and petty and um, God, told, God told us he was jealous. We didn't need the world to tell us that. He is jealous, and he, and he is petty. He wants it his way, and it, it's going to be his way. We, in Sunday school this morning, the lesson was, I am the way, the truth and life. That's not what the world wants to hear. They want to hear there's a lot of ways, as long as, as long as you have peace, as long as you love your fellow man, there's a lot of ways. That's not what God's word says. It's a contradiction to this world, and it always has been. and will continue to be. Until, um, until the final separation. So do we believe this like we believe George Washington is the president, or do we believe it's the word of life? Josiah was a, was a young king. He was eight years old when he became king back in the day in Israel. Uh, when he was 16, they were rebuilding the temple that had been demolished by enemies for for to bring him back to God because they were ignoring him. And he sent somebody down, he sent some money down there to pay off the workers. And when his guy got down there with the money, they said, oh, by the way, we found the Bible. It's up here underneath all this rubble. They didn't all, it was the scrolls. They didn't all have, you know, 18 Bibles at home like we're blessed to have. So that guy took it back home to the king, to Josiah, and he started reading it. And he didn't read any of the New Testament. It wasn't written. He didn't read Kings because that wasn't written. He read the first five books. In the beginning, God created. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Teach your children these things. Have no other gods before me. Um, he started reading those things to Josiah. King Josiah said, if that's what the Bible says, and we're over here, we've got to change. He didn't say, we need to make some revisions. We need to, to soften some of those edges a little bit. This is the 3rd century or whatever, B.C. or whatever, whatever it might have been. No, he said, this is the truth, and this is us. We need to change. We need to get ourselves lined up with this. And he called all the people together, and they, they, had a, they got rid of a bunch of junk, it's like there's some bad things in our society, in our culture. We, they're no good. We've got get, we to get rid of that. And then we've got to start celebrating uh, God the way he told us to. We've got to worship him the way he told us to. And they had the best Passover, the biggest one they had in years and years. And because they, got, they, they believed that the Bible was true. They didn't just say it. They believed the Bible was true. Jesus is alive. John, or in the book of John, we hit the story of Thomas, who was one of the twelve. I believe the only time he's ever referenced, except when he was called, 
was for his lack of faith. You or I might have well made the same list. Um, the other disciples were together. Jesus reappeared to them after he'd been crucified. After he'd been resurrected. They were hiding in a room, not knowing what was going to happen next. He appeared to them. And they didn't know what to make of that. Thomas happened to not be there. They told Thomas about it. What did he say? No way. I'll believe it when I see it. Later, uh, he said, when I see those holes in his hands, when I see that hole in his side, then I'll believe Jesus is alive. Until then, you know, you guys are just spooked and you're seeing what you want to see. See what Jesus said to him. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't rip into him. He was patient and gentle with him like he is with us. John chapter 20, if we go to verse 24. Um, if we drop down to 26, Thomas was with them. Jesus came in, stood in their midst. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and, and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who do not see and yet believed. Jesus is alive. Almost every one of us would agree to that statement. Jesus said to follow me. Do the things that I do. Um, follow my example. Be kind. Be patient. Reach out to those that, that need a friend. Um, that the world is kicking around. He also, at the same time, the woman caught in adultery, he said, I forgive you. He was merciful, and he also said, don't do it anymore. He didn't say, eh, whatever. And that's people sometimes, they struggle with the idea of love and acceptance and forgiveness, which we get from Jesus Christ, but also this is the way or I am the way, I am the truth, these are my expectations. It's both. Um, we're told to worship in spirit and in truth. In Revelation, if we looked in chapter 1, verse 18, or let's start with verse 17, John, his friend from the past, one of the apostles, was there, was seeing Christ, was in a vision where he was seeing Christ in heaven. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. The last thing Jesus said to us in his word, the last thing the Bible says to us, In chapter 22 of Revelation, verse 20, he who testifies to these things, Jesus, says, yes, I'm coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. That's John's words, the last. Um, Jesus is alive. He's coming back, and it might be today. 
And it might be a thousand years from now, and it might be longer than that, but it doesn't matter because he is alive, and he is active in our lives, and that, that fact should matter in, in everything that we do, in everything that we are. Jesus is alive. I was going to do a little thing at the end where I said, God is, and you were going to say, real. I was going to say, the Bible is, and you were going to say, true. And I was going to say, Jesus is, and you were going to say, alive. But then I realized we'd be emphasizing the wrong word. We had a little thing we did at school one day um, where we changed the word in the sentence. We put the emphasis on, and it can change the meaning of the sentence. Uh, even the, the word's the same, it would read the same. But by your inflection of your voice, the words you emphasize can change how that sentence is received. And after I studied on this a while, I realized those things those college kids say, and now we've hopefully you've got them in, in your mind, maybe they'll make it onto your refrigerator, or maybe they'll make it into your heart. God is real, the Bible is true, Jesus is alive. You know what the key word is? It's that little one in the middle, is. It's not something that was for the pilgrims, but now things are complicated. No. God is real. He's real today, December 29th, 2019. God is real. It's not just history. He did all those things, the Bible says. All those things happened. But He is real today. He's our God today. We can know Him today. We can be surrendered to Him today. We can be submitted to Him today. We can be challenged by Him today. We can be encouraged by Him today because God is real. He's as real as He's ever been. It's not something just from the past. It's not something that just worked for your grandparents. It's the same with the Bible. The Bible is true. Refrigeration. The Internet. None of those things have changed any of what the Bible says is right or wrong or what's going to happen or what God expects. The Bible is true. The Bible is the word of life today. December 29th, the Bible is true. And Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Exactly what that looks like, we don't know. Are we going to physically shake his hand one day in heaven? We don't know exactly how it's going to be. But Jesus is alive. We're going to stand before him one day. He's going to say, I never knew you. Or he's going to say, come in, you're one of mine. God is real. The Bible is true. Jesus is alive. I preached at a small church not too long ago. And in their bulletin, they had 26 lines. They had the doxology, they had the memory verse, they had responsive reading, they had about twice as many songs as we have, they had, I don't, can't remember what all they had, but I know they had, they had as I recall, I counted, there was 26 lines, and they couldn't have got any more, they might have had more. And I said that to say this, when I'm preaching, if there's a central text, generally, I'll read that, as Brian and lots of other uh, speakers do, and then I would say a prayer right after that, you know, God bless the reading of your word, 
and going into the sermon. When I preach something like today that's a little more topical where it's all over the Bible, what I generally do is I'll say a prayer at the end, which is what I did that day at that church. And then we had the hymn of invitation. And then below that it said closing prayer, which ours just says closing. And um, since I just prayed and we had the invitation, I said, have a good week. And they'd all just stood there and looked at me. And I thought, and then two different people said, uh, uh, you've got to say the prayer. You've got to have the closing prayer. And I thought, well, prayer is incredibly important. That's why I don't want to be redundant about it. And I, I said the prayer like 22 seconds ago. But, and I'm thinking there's only 17 people here. But anyhow, I said the closing prayer. So today I'm going to ask your permission. If I say a prayer to kind of sum this up a little bit, and honor God, and then we have the hymn of invitation, when it's over, if I say, have a great week, are you going to be good with that? <laughs> okay? All right. So, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for a chance to gather in your house, to read from your word, to sing songs to you, uh, to study together in Sunday school about more of what it, what it means to follow you. Lord, we believe that you're real. We believe that your word is true. We believe your son is alive. And Lord, we want those things to sink down deep in us in 2020. And we want to act and think and talk differently because we believe those things. We want them to be beliefs that, that come out, uh, that come to the surface. Lord, we thank you that you make a, a way for us to know you. You make a way for us to be in right standing with you. We've all sinned. We've all failed. We've all come short. And the only righteousness we have is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that. We thank you for this wonderful time of the year when, uh, when we can celebrate that you came to us because you loved us that much. And also as we move into a new year, help us to, to look back and also to look forward with all the hope and, and promise that a, that a Christian has because we know that you're in charge, that you're real. In your whole great and holy name we pray. Amen.